Scripture reading will be from 2 Kings 21, 1-3. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and reigned, in, and reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother was named Hephzibah, and he did evil on the side of the Lord according to the abominations of the, abom- of the nations whom the Lord had cast out who the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt, he, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image as, as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Good evening. Hope that you have your Bibles. Might be turning to Second Kings chapter twenty-one. That's where we're going to begin our study this afternoon. We're thankful for the presence of each and every one here. We're thankful that we have an opportunity to come and worship our God and to sing songs of praise unto His name and to pray to Him and come before His throne once again. We're thankful that we have each and every one here to encourage each other as well. Last week we looked at. Some lessons from the life of King Hezekiah, and this week we're going to kind of follow that lineage, and we're going to look at his son, Manasseh. Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. He began his reign of Judah at the age of 12 years old. That's pretty, pretty hard to imagine, I would think, for many of us, whenever we have only known and lived in a country where you have to be at least 35 years old to be able to run for president of the United States. Uh, I turned 35 last year. I, I said I'm going to begin my campaign right then. But, uh, yeah, you, it's hard for us to imagine a 12-year-old making decisions for an entire country, an entire people group. And yet that's exactly what happens in Israel, in Judah. And of all the kings in Judah, Manasseh, he has the longest tenure. And he is considered by many to be the worst king of Judah. He undid every good thing that his father Hezekiah had tried to install. And yet I would argue that while he was... Perhaps probably the most, I don't know if there's any debate about it. He is the worst king of Judah, but he also gives what could be the greatest blessing to the people of Judah. We'll talk some more about that as we study. Josiah would be his grandson. Josiah would lead a lot of reform for the people of Judah. And yet it was in Josiah's reign as Josiah was trying to lead a lot of reform for God's people. Nevertheless, it was too little too late. In 2 Kings chapter 23, in 2 Kings chapter 23, a couple of chapters later in the midst of Josiah's reign, it says in 2 Kings 23 and verse 25, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. However, 
The Lord did not turn from the fierceness of His great wrath with which His anger burned against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked Him. The Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my side as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen, and the temple of which I said my name shall be there. It's because of Manasseh's wickedness that the Babylonian captivity and all the things that were going to come against Judah and Jerusalem was going to happen. It was all because Manasseh set that in motion. And so, what are some things that we can learn from Manasseh? I think there's a few that we could easily come up with that we're going to look at and explore this afternoon. And the first thing is, no one is beyond God's grace and the scope of God's grace. As you read in 2 Kings 21, you read about all the wickedness of Manasseh. And in 2 Kings 21, beginning at verse 1, uh, we are introduced to him in verse 2. It says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. And so just in that quick summation of Manasseh, we find out that he is a very wicked and evil king. You continue on down through verse uh, 18, and we see only wicked things that he has done. And that's it from Second Kings that we learn about Manasseh. We're only told of the evil that he does. In verse 16 it says, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin with which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did in his sin which he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house. In the garden of Uzzah and Ammon his son became king in his place. And so we read that and we're left with the impression that he was just this terrible, wicked king that did a lot of evil for uh, God's people, that he led God's people to do a lot of evil, and that's it. I wish it were that simple. You actually have to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and that's where we get a little bit of a different story. Not that it changes anything in terms of the evil that he did, but it sets everything in another context because of something that we learn. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and in verse, verses 1-9, through 9, we get the same kind of information that, that Manasseh is a terribly wicked king. He encourages all sorts of idolatry and wickedness there. There's a lot of bloodshed. He made his sons pass through the fire. And those kinds of things that would occur. But then we get another story. chapter 33 and in verse 10. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33 and verse 10, because of Manasseh's wickedness, it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. We're learning a little bit more here in this account. And in verse 12, it says, When he was in distress, 
he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. It was in this day of distress that Manasseh, this terrible, wicked king who has only promoted idolatry and wickedness and all sorts of things that went against God's plan and what God desired and what God loved. A man who had no interest in following the law of Moses in promoting righteousness in the nation. A man who was so proud and arrogant, he now humbles himself before the Lord. This is a moment where he is very like his father, Hezekiah. You remember last week we talked about Hezekiah's pride. But Hezekiah, sometimes he could keep himself in check and he could humble himself. And he could pray to God and ask for forgiveness or those kinds of things. He could ask. He knew sort of that boundary a lot of times. But here is Manasseh, and he humbles himself before God, and he prays to God. He entreated the Lord. And it says in verse 13, when he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. God restores him to his kingdom. He brings him back to Jerusalem. Now, if God was so angered and, and to the point that he was going to try to remove Manasseh, and allow him to be taken and deported to Babylon. And then, all of a sudden now, God is allowing him to come back to Jerusalem to reign and be over his kingdom. You have to see that he is sincere in his motives and in his desire to turn his life around. And that's how he begins to to change his life. In verse 15, it says, He also removed the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, as well as the alt- all the altars which he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he threw them outside the city. He set up the altar. The Lord God of Israel never. This picture's a man who has changed, who's sincere. But how many times do we know someone who might be wicked and might do all sorts of bad things and we don't share the gospel with them because we say, well, they would never change anyway. They're too steeped in sin. How many times do we just write people off before we've ever given them the chance to obey the gospel and to make changes in their life? How many times are we afraid to take the gospel to those who are different than us? And what I mean by different is that they don't dress like us, they don't talk like us, they don't look like us, and that they might be covered in tattoos, or they are convicts, or they are addicts. And how many times are we afraid to take the gospel to those who need the gospel the most? What we learn about the story of Manasseh is that no one 
is outside that boundary of receiving God's grace. I think the Apostle Paul would echo that same sentiment in the book of 1 Timothy in his letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 15, notice how Paul describes himself here. And he says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Here's Saul of Tarsus. Remember that murderer? The one who was there at the stoning of Stephen? That they were laying their coats in front of him? He was there. He was overseeing it. He was in charge of it. He was throwing Christians into prison. And God saves him? A murderer. What we see from Manasseh is that God's grace knows no bounds for anyone who will humble themselves and repent. God may forgive them. And what I appreciate so much about Manasseh is that he did not just say, well, this is how I've wasted all my first 30, 40 years of life. We're not given all the exact numbers there, but he didn't just say, well, this is how I've always lived, and so I'm going to continue to live that way. No, he was willing to say, you know what? I messed up. I've wasted my life. I've squandered some years, and now I'm going to do my very best to clean it up. He turned to God while he still had an opportunity. In Isaiah chapter 55, in Isaiah chapter 55 and in verse 6, Isaiah the prophet says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. As long as you have breath in your body, you have an opportunity to come to God. No matter what it is that you've done in the past, you have an opportunity to change. I have a good friend of mine. He preaches in uh, Kingston, Ontario, up in Canada. And just uh, a couple of weeks ago, he had an old neighbor of his call him. She was suffering from cancer. And... She had had a Bible study with William, I don't know, 17 years ago, I think it was, when they were neighbors, when they were living next to each other. And she never obeyed the gospel. But when she found out that this cancer was terminal that she had, she called William. And... She said she wanted to be baptized. She wasted 17 years, but the last eight days of her life, and William sent me a message this morning that said she passed away last night. The last eight days of her life, she spent as a Christian. 
You might say, well, she wasted those 17 years when she first heard the truth, but you know what? She died yesterday with the hope of eternal life. Come to the Lord before it's too late. No matter how many years, no matter what you have done, come to the Lord while you have an opportunity. And the second lesson that we learned from Manasseh is that sin has lasting consequences. Yes, Manasseh spent a great many years of his life wasted, squandered, promoting and, and performing all sorts of wicked, evil things. And all the wicked things he did were an affront to God. Because God had warned of all these things before Israel would even go into the promised land. In the book of Deuteronomy, you can just go through and you can see everything that Manasseh did in promoting the abominations of the nations. That's something that Moses spoke about in the book of Deuteronomy and said, don't do this. When he built the, up the high places that Hezekiah had torn down, it was something that was warned about in the book of Deuteronomy. He built the altars of the Baal and the Asherah. He placed the idolatrous altars in the temple. All these were warnings in the Old Testament. And in the Lexham Bible Dictionary, they have this entry for Manasseh. It says, This catalog of transgressions is so comprehensive and offensive that it effectively would make Manasseh the sinful king par excellence. Not only did Manasseh violate the prescribed manner of worship in Deuteronomy, but he led Judah to sin in the process and kindled the anger of God against the nation. Manasseh stands out as a ruler of the worst kind. He had led Israel to be worse than other nations. If you notice what in 2 Kings... In 2 Kings 21, in 2 Kings 21, notice here in this, uh, in this record of Manasseh's life, notice what it says in verse 9. Talking about the children of the people of Judah, it says, But they did not listen, and Manasseh seduced them to do evil more than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. That Judah became worse than all the other nations. This isn't a pretty picture, is it? And even after he repented, he was unable to effect a whole lot of change among the people. And whenever you read 2 Kings 21 and then you look and compare to 2 Chronicles, what you have in 2 Chronicles is a story of repentance. But in 2 Kings, you don't get that. And I think that needs to communicate something to us. That even if you are sincere in your motives and your repentance, and even if you try to change and undo all the things that you have done in your past, guess what? You may still only be remembered for the evil things that you've done. Because sin has this lasting effect. It has a lasting effect. 
And there were still consequences. That the children of Judah, because Manasseh's poor leadership in promoting sin and idolatry, God was not going to relent of punishing Judah because of Manasseh. A life of sin and disobedience will not be completely undone. You think about Saul of Tarsus. We mentioned him a little bit ago. The Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 9, after he has become a Christian, and after he has begun to preach Jesus as the Son of God, he comes back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. They had doubts about him and his sincerity. And I don't say this to try to discourage anyone. If you are living a life of sin and wickedness and you need to repent, I, don't, I want to encourage you to repent. But I also want you to realize that there may be some things that you're going to always have attached to you. There may be a stigma that, for, that you have to deal with for a long time. When we talk about Rahab in the Bible, she's always called Rahab the harlot. Even though I think she gave up that life of harlotry after she became a believer in God. But there is still that, that connection. Sin has lasting consequences. Yes, you may repent. You may be forgiven. But that doesn't mean the consequences of your choices, and especially mounted up over a lifetime, will just completely be gone. Yes, we need to, to forgive. We have to practice forgiveness. And no, we should not keep a record of wrongs. It's something that love will not do. Just to be thrown back in someone's face. and Yet we must always have good wisdom. We need to never be taken advantage of nor manipulated by someone. We have to recognize that sin has lasting consequences. That we may have to overcome some of those stigmas and some of those attachments because of some choices that we have made. We, have, we may have to deal with that. That's something that we see that happens in the life of Manasseh. And what we need to do is make sure that we're using our influence for good, not for evil. Because... From Manasseh, in his example, in his life, it presents sort of this dilemma, doesn't it? He's one of the worst kings in Judah's history. And yet he repented and began to try and get people to turn back to God, even if it was too little too late. So how do you classify Manasseh? Is he a good king or a bad king? Well, it depends on what you mean by that, doesn't it? In some ways you could say he was a terrible, rotten king. But in other ways you could say, no, he is a good king. Because you know what he did? He had the humility to say, 
and the moment of distress and the moment that he needed to turn back to God, he did so. How many people do not do that? But what we see in the life of Manasseh is just the power of influence. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You see, Jesus takes this idea, if your salt becomes tasteless, where it's not doing anything, where there's no benefit, where the, the effectiveness of the salt is completely lost, what good is it? How many Christians are not using their influence for good? Where we've tolerated sin, where we've passed along that dirty joke that we shouldn't have been listening to in the first place, but then maybe we said it to someone else. When we start talking like the world, when we start using the language that other people would use, your salt becomes tasteless. Jesus would continue to talk and warn about that kind of thing. In chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, When Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. If you begin to try to mix that darkness into your light, then it's the darkness that's going to overwhelm your whole life. We have to take that warning seriously that we cannot be these people who would compromise. We cannot be the kind of people that would compromise. We must continue to always be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And you may repent and you may quit doing evil, but then you have to also replace that sinful behavior with righteous choices. And that's so much what I appreciate about Manasseh in the second part of the story of his life. We know that he was terribly wicked, but then after he has come back to Jerusalem, he tries to undo everything. We don't know exactly how effective it was. We know it didn't have that tremendous amount of effect. But... That still is impressive that he would give any kind of effort. And I appreciate that so much about him that someone could have seen him. And I know there was at least one person that did it, (laughs) that saw him. If I were a wagering man, I I guess I, I should say. Because I think it's Manasseh's greatest work that might actually be seen later in the life of Josiah. Because Manasseh's son Ammon was just as bad as Manasseh was. 
Ammon was king in Judah for only two years though. And then Josiah takes the throne at the age of eight years old. That means Josiah would have spent the first six years of his life seeing the best part of Manasseh's life. Where he is trying to actually effect change and do something good. And let me tell you, you may not be able to undo all the wicked things that you've ever done in the past, but take someone young, bring them under your tutelage, warn them about a life wasted, and then show them what they need to be doing. And then you see Josiah, and he's the best king that you have in Judah. He's the best king, and he leads the reforms that need to be done. There's a lesson there for grandparents too. Be a good grandparent. Teach your grandkids. Even if your kids are lousy, you teach them. Use your influence for good, not for evil. I'm certain that Josiah went on to become one of the best kings of Judah because of the influence of his grandfather Manasseh. And seeing him effect some change and using his influence for good, not for evil. People who repent and who are willing to undo things that they have done in the past and change the way they have lived, that's impressive. Maybe they don't change as fast as we would like or do everything to our satisfaction right away. But if their heart is right and they are sincere, then we need to encourage their efforts. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus meets that wee little man Zacchaeus and he climbs up in that sycamore tree, you'll remember, In Luke chapter 19 and in verse 2, we learn that Zacchaeus was very rich. He was a tax collector. And tax collectors were notorious. Back then, especially, if not today, for skimming off the top a little bit. (laughs) And in Luke chapter 19 and in verse 8, notice what Zacchaeus says. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Now some people read that as a a confession of sin. I don't know if that's the case or not. I, I give Zacchaeus a little bit more credit than that. I don't know, because he does say if, (laughs) if he has defrauded anyone. He could have been the best tax collector, most honest one out there. I don't know. But he says, if I have cheated anyone, I will do, I will go above and beyond. I will pay back what I have taken and give them four times as much. That's what repentance looks like. That's what doing good looks like. And we have to be just as diligent and just as zealous in our own change when we repent of our evil. And then one final point for us to consider this evening. That we see 
I think very clearly in Manasseh's life, especially our first part of his life. And if you don't have an interest in obeying God, there is no limitation to what you might do. Manasseh shows us just how bad an evil heart can become and how far sin can take us. And if you have no desire for serving God, if you don't want to serve God, if you don't respect God's word and God's law and God's commands, then you are removing effectively every limitation that might be around you. You know, you might hear people say, how, how did we get here as a country? How have things gotten so bad where murder is on the news every night, abortion is everywhere, mass shootings are normal? And we might lament and we might say how awful and how bad this is, and indeed it is. But when we have taken God out of the equation, when we have removed God from our homes and our families, when we have removed God from our schools, when we have taken God out of every decision that we might ever make, it becomes pretty easy, doesn't it, to see how it goes. How bad it can become. When there is no respect for authority, and I'm not just talking about police and those kinds of things. But when I'm talking about respect for authority in general, when we don't have respect for the law, when we don't have respect for God's Word, when we don't have respect for anything, it's going to be bad. And I read in the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3 what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in verse 10... Second Timothy chapter or verse 13 rather in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13 he says but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived what Paul's saying is just going to be a downward cycle it's going to be a downward spiral it's not going to get any better when our our, our whole motive and desire is just about evil just going to go down the toilet what we see in Manasseh is that he had a conscience he had a conscience a conscience that was wounded a conscience that was affected and he realized this is not how I want to go whenever he was being taken away with hooks That those hooks being put through his nose. He found out what he needed to do. He needed to repent. If you don't have any interest in obeying God, if you have no respect for God's word and God and, and biblical authority. 
You know, have you ever wondered how churches can go the way that they do sometimes? You know, they can be, be just be doing all the kinds of things that they want to do. If they want to have instrumental music, or they want to go and you know, promote the social gospel, those kinds of things, they, they can just go. All you just remove the limitations. Just remove the limitations. Remove idea of authority. Don't talk about God's authority. Don't talk about God's word. Don't talk about any limitations. And there you go. But Manasseh, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and prayed to God. He had a conscience that told him he needed to repent. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 2, Paul writes about the conscience. In Romans chapter 2, and in verse 15, he says, "...in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness in their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus." I want you to see what he tells us there in verse 15, that our conscience can bear witness either for us or against us. And our thoughts can accuse us or defend us. Have you ever known someone that you could you know that they did something wrong and you could never get them to see it? Because, like they, they just can't fathom that they could ever do something wrong. That's what he's talking about. Like someone whose conscience is always saying, I didn't do anything wrong. I was completely right. I was okay. Or someone who has a conscience that it would accuse them. A conscience that's sensitive. A conscience that realizes I've done wrong. I need to repent. That's the kind of conscience that Manasseh had. As wicked as he might have been, as terrible of a king as he may have been, he had a conscience that in the day of distress, in the moment when things were looking its bleakest, he sought God. And he turned to Him. And his conscience could no longer defend himself. Manasseh's example is one that should have been followed by Judah because Manasseh is really kind of in the same spot that Judah was in. They were kind of going along parallel tracks. Manasseh was terribly wicked. Judah was terribly wicked. But what Manasseh did that was different was that he repented. He changed. He repented and found favor with God. I think that's the message that we need to see that God was going to be willing to extend forgiveness to Judah if they would repent. But they never did. Until it was too late, they suffered the Babylonian captivity. 
And we need to pay attention. No one is outside of God's grace and His scope except for the person who won't repent. Are you going to be willing to repent of your sins? Are you willing to turn away from the things that you've done that are wrong? We've all done things that are wrong. We talked about that this morning a little bit. That anyone that has had to come to Christ, no one is innocent. We've all sinned. We've all transgressed. We've all violated God's command. Are you willing to repent and humble yourself and come to God? God wants to forgive you. This evening, if you need to become a Christian, the water is ready. We want to encourage you to become a child of God. Maybe it is that you have become a Christian. You've been trying to live faithfully, but you've turned back to sin. Will you not come back to the Lord? He pleads with you. He wants you to return. Pay attention to the example of Manasseh and come back to God. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?